Hey there, we're the West Slot Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, uh, March Madness is here. Uh, we're going to get a tournament this year, which means, um, which is fantastic news. Uh, means we get to continue our, our annual tradition of bringing on our resident bracketologist, Scott Sepich, uh, to join us um, for our 10th tournament. So this is sort of our 10th anniversary, you know, last year notwithstanding. Um, our 11th year doing this, Scott. Thanks so much for uh, coming on yet another year uh, to talk this silly bracket. Yeah, happy as always to be here. I'm um, happy that, you know, you guys have ex-players on and actual media members on and the fact that you still uh allow me to come on here once a year is uh <laughs> is a uh, quite a treat i know it's and my i think I, I think i always talk about the fact that i, I, was, I think it was your first guest ever so oh yeah one that's, of your first guests ever so so we should make that point to all of our listeners because this is um you know partly fueled by our the year that Northwestern football had this year. This was a year of explosive growth for our pod. Um, I mean, our audience was big and now it's much bigger. Um, and it's important for people to know, right? Like this is, Scott is our oldest tradition. This is as, as old as it goes. This is something we love doing that we've done uh, every year. And uh, so it's it's cool. It's, you know, we're, we're on year 11, like you said, but this is... Um, uh, we are introducing Scott after all this time to a sizable new audience. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. So um, the NCAA tournament is here. Uh, somehow we made it through this season um, by hook or by crook. Uh, you know, college basketball has settled in on the state of Indiana. Um, all the games are happening in Indiana where there are no rules, but um <laughs> Will, will there just be a car wash set up outside of the uh, of the arena for coaches to interview for the IU basketball job? <laughs> Pretty much, <laughs> right? Exactly. Mark Mark Few shows up, and there just happens to be a Ferrari outside of his hotel room, and they just say, "Oh, how did that get there?" It's a lot. There's going to be a lot of that. Uh, I'm, but I'm looking forward to how delusional Indiana gets with this. So, well, oh, they're going to get very appa- delusional. But apparently, the money is like, I mean, like. We were talking with our buddies uh, from Winning Cures, everything, and like their their theory is basically the the AD met with Archie Miller, everything was sweet, and then if you read like if you read the details of some of the press releases or the articles or whatnot, basically like two boosters showed up, and one said I'll pay for the buyout, and the other said I'll pay for the next coach. <laughs> someone someone cut him a ten million dollar check to to get rid of him. That's insane. Ooh, uh. I wish somebody would write it's, a $10 million a, check to get rid of me. It's, like I, it's, been, it's been a great year for boosters. And speaking of three-seed Texas, let's talk about it. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's start at the top because, you know, Gonzaga, they're, they're in the Northwest where, where you are, Scott. Um, they've ran the table so far this year. And I, I mean... I will be the first to admit I have not done a good job following college basketball this year. I'm going into this bracket season knowing very, very little of anything outside of the Big Ten. Um, but how good is Gonzaga really? I mean, they're they're up there, but are they legitimately the best team in the country going into this thing? Yeah, I mean, I think they are. They're really, really good. Obviously, even in an abbreviated season, they managed to still get in 26 games, which is on the high end of this um, year, and they played good teams. And I, we, they're playing in a region with the two, three, and four seed are teams that they've already played and already beaten by double digits. So, you know, I don't think that they necessarily have to prove that they belong in this spot. Um, but it might be tough for them, like it is for any team, to get all the way to the, you know, to the end of the tournament. So, you know, if they lose somewhere along the way, I don't think that's necessarily an indictment of their program in any way. I think people tend to try to, you know, try to want to jump on them whenever they fail because they want to just say, oh, that's because they're from the WCC, they're they're overrated and all this kind of stuff. And but they've been one of the most successful teams in the tournament over the last decade, and, and they've made it, I think, twenty two or twenty three straight years now. So and, and we know the refs have no problem giving them a, a phantom goaltend from time to time. And every once in a while, they might 
you get a little bit of help. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that they're that they're legit, and they certainly over the past few years have become a, a program that recruits just as well as just about anybody. I mean, Jalen Suggs is as you know as good a player as there is in the country, a freshman, and um, you know they're a national program now. Their their guys come from all over the country. It's not just a, a regional program anymore. So I mean they. They they are the real deal, and they belong with the big with with the big programs. It's just that they're always going to be doubters, just because of the fact that they happen to be in this league that doesn't have a lot of great teams in it, um, which allows them to rack up a big record. But they beat these teams by a lot of points, and it's it's not like they're squeaking by the WCC schedule, winning all the games by four points. I mean, they're beating teams by twenty five, thirty five, forty points most nights. So, well, when um, you, you you mentioned really that. Good. You mentioned they beat the other, the, the other top three seeds in their bracket in their corner of the bracket by double digits earlier this year. That'd be Iowa, Kansas, and um, Virginia. And I, it, I mean, it seems like the, it seems like there's kind of two ways to to look at this, right? You can either look at it as like, wow, they gave Gonzaga this super easy path through teams that they've already laid waste to, or potentially those teams have got a leg up because they've seen Gonzaga before. They know what to expect and they know presumably what's not going to work and what they need to do differently this time around. What's your, what's your view on that, that, that pathway? Yeah, I do think it's a little bit of a disadvantage for Gonzaga because I do think that now these teams probably have a little bit better idea of how to attack in the second time around. Um, you know, Virginia is an interesting case, obviously, because they, we don't even know if Can- they're going to be able Kansas to practice too, right? before yeah. Friday and Kansas has had, had to drop out of their tournament. So, I would say Virginia and Kansas aren't exactly coming into this tournament on on the highest note. So though well, presumably by the time either one of those teams actually played Gonzaga, they would have like they would be back to back to normal. I guess I guess the question though is if they can survive the the earlier rounds. Yeah, if they can get there. Yeah, so I think that's interesting. And I you know, it it's it's probably just a function of of the quirks of how the seeding lines work out that this happened. Uh, more than it's any sort of intentional thing by the committee to try to make things harder on anybody. But it is an interesting coincidence that that those three teams are over there with them when they haven't played. You know, Gonzaga doesn't get to play that many power conference teams uh, during their season. And just so happens that three that they already played are, are, are in their bracket. I, I did want to talk about Iowa briefly and not because we're, you know, Big Ten origin individuals, but like two things stand out to me. One that Iowa, I feel like has been getting better specifically on the defensive defensive side of the ball throughout the course of the year relative to when they played Gonzaga the first time, but maybe more interestingly, like if those two teams do meet in the elite eight, it'll be the number one and number two offensive teams per Ken Palm's adjusted efficiency metrics. And that game might like the arena might explode. Yeah, Yeah. that would be, it would be a good one. I'm, I, I think it's kind of, you know, you mentioned the big 10 and it's, we're almost kind of lucky that the three of, well, the Pirates are located in Big Ten country just because in a year where it was so hard to focus on college basketball as a whole, the Big Ten happened to be really good, Northwestern notwithstanding. So it's kind of a crutch that like I can look and be like, well, I've got a pretty good idea of what Iowa is. I've got a pretty good idea of what Illinois is, what a good idea of what Michigan is. And we're talking about a lot of the top seeds in the tournament. Um, and even a team like Purdue, right. Who's a four seed. I can look at them and be like, okay, I know about their youth. I know like what they're stacked. Um, and then, but then you get away from that and it's like, like the sec, the big 12. Like I just, I, I like, I know Cade Cunningham plays for Oklahoma state and he might be the number one pick of the draft. And that is like the extent of my knowledge. I do think it's funny talking about Gonzaga that, it's just like to your point, like the whole thing about the the image and perception of Gonzaga. I feel like this year the closest thing the 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 bracket has to a blue blood is Gonzaga. Like I feel like they're the team that's stacked with talent. Um, like they're you know they have all these all Americans and they you know I was looking at some list that was like the top twenty players, top ten players in college basketball, and like three of the top five were Gonzaga players. So um, they're I think they're definitely stacked. Um, one thing also we should mention, because I don't feel like we mentioned it off the top, Scott, 
Um, and again, this goes to all the people who are kind of listening to this pod for the first time. You, um, part of the reason we started this tradition so many years ago is um, you oversee um, a very long running, um, very large and very serious college basketball uh, pool um, once a year. I think we're kind of curious. I think, you know, I feel like, um, you know, AMC theaters is looking for like two real positive indicators. They're looking at China and they're looking at the attendance of your bracket this year as potential like indicators for them. Um, I'm curious, again, we joke, but I mean, with last year's tournament being canceled, how is the bracket going this year? Yeah, I think that people are really excited that it's back. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know yet how, uh, you know, if I'm going to get a big boost in participation this year or something like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it, for for me, it was like I had to remember how to run this thing because it's been a couple years. But, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I think it's, I think people are excited about it. Um, what's interesting so far, and I, I just ran some numbers, I've gotten um, some entries in so far, and I'm looking at them right now, and 60% of the entries have picked Gonzaga to win the tournament. Wow. So, and that's that's a very high, high percentage, even, even in years where there's multiple Blue Bloods at the top. Usually, like, there isn't one team that dominates the picks like this. So um, that's going to be interesting if that sort of holds up over the next few days as the more more entries come in, um, because, you know, because yeah, we we normally don't see that kind of lopsided number of picks. Um, so certainly, people so far are believing that that this is the team, and I do think that, like like you said, it's they're the closest thing maybe to you know, a dominant name that people know at the top because Baylor's had some good teams but have never really been, a, they don't think they've ever been a one seed before. Uh, you know, Michigan's been a, in a championship game a couple times so, so they, they at least have some track record of doing well. Illinois hasn't been good in 15 years, right? I mean, like, at, at this level. So, well, uh, and, and jumping back to Michigan for a second, like, so they've got a couple injuries on their team and they've not looked yeah. that great the last few weeks. I, I think most people are looking at them as as the first one seed to fall, most likely. Uh, yeah, and then and the two seeds are, you know, I mean, certainly Ohio State's usually in the mix, but you know, Iowa hasn't been this high in a long time. Alabama, I mean, was the last time we saw them higher than maybe like a seven seed. Um, so, and then Houston is a two, and and again from a conference that's maybe a little bit less known. So, so yeah, it, there's not a lot of these big names with no Kentucky, there's no Duke, no uh, Louisville, no Louisville. You've got, uh, Michigan state playing in the play-in game, <laughs> uh, against UCLA. I will say that my favorite thing maybe in the history of my bracket is that, uh, one of our, one of our mutual friends has picked UCLA or Michigan state to win the entire championship. Hey, two teams um, for the price of one, right? Two teams yeah, exactly. for the price of one. Um, and also I will say that, uh, 76% have picked the winner of that UCLA Michigan State game to also beat BYU. BYU is getting no respect at all. So, Whew, uh, even wow. for the sixth seed, um, it is that was one of the trends that popped out at me. It's really weird to to try to peg, like for example, Georgetown's only a 12 seed, but they like stormed all the way through their conference tournament. And it's like, what does that mean? Same with Georgia Tech, right? It's like, how do you peg Loyola Chicago versus Georgia Tech? Loyola Chicago was awesome all year long. Georgia Tech basically came out of nowhere to shock win the ACC tournament. But then they kind of won it going away, too. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. And then I think we only focused on this so much by almost proxy. But I'm looking at Colgate as a 14 seed. And... They, you know, we ended up watching them a lot because um, Tavares Hardy's Loyola Maryland squad made it all the way to the Patriot League final against Colgate. And the winner of that game was going to get a seed. If Loyola would have won that game, they absolutely would have been a 16 seed because I think they have like five wins on the season. Um, But Colgate has played like they have some record where they're like 13 and run or 14 and one. They've played like six teams. They they were. They were in these weird pods. They played Army like five times. It's really weird. 
Um, and it's just like, it's just a short, it's like, I don't know what that means. I have no idea how good a team like that is. I have no idea how good Georgetown is. I have no idea how good Georgia Tech is. I mean, it's just that, I mean, it's always a crapshoot, but it feels like this year it's even a little bit more of a crapshoot. Yeah, I think you have, there's there's two kinds of 12 seeds. There's the the, the most kind of higher, the highest thought of mid-majors. So this year you've got Winthrop and UC Santa Barbara and there's 12s. And then you have these two power conference teams that unexpectedly won their conference tournaments with Georgetown and Oregon State. Um, and they both usually kind of slot into that 12 spot, which historically is, of course, one of the most um, successful spots for uh, for an upset. In fact, I have some numbers up in front of me here that being a 12 seed, the 12 seed wins their first round game about 36% of the time. An 11 seed wins only 37% of the time and a 10 seed only wins 39% of the time. So the difference between being a 10 and a 12 is very negligible um, in terms of being able to win the first round game. So, um, what I I don't know if it's what you just described of like the history of the five twelve matchup, but but I look at these five seeds and and none of them feel great to me. I mean, so Creighton, right, with all their problems with their coach um, throughout throughout the year, getting suspended. Apparently, he's going to coach in the tournament, but who knows what that means in that locker room, right? And for those players, C- Colorado, uh, like I, I forget how many of the of the quad one wins that they have but three of them are, are beating USC. I, I, I don't know if Georgetown plays anything like USC, but if they don't, Colorado might be in trouble. Um, I, and then Tennessee and Villanova, I think, are both at, at risk of missing missing big players. I mean, Villanova, Villanova's starting point guard is injured, and um, I believe I read that, that Tennessee's got some, some injuries as well, but um, that might be the one the one exception to the rule if, 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 if they play well. But those other, I think those other three five Cs all seem... Um, if not flawed, at least like pretty easy and easy to question going into these games. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I think that, yeah, I mean, I think that the twelves will once again be popular picks this year as they always are. Um, you know, my, my advice has always been, and this might even be more, you know, apt this year, if, if it really is going to be say like 60% of people picking the same team, you know, the way you win a pool basically is by picking the champion. So um, if you do pick a champion uh, that happens to be super popular, in the, in the case of this year, that might be Gonzaga. Uh, one way that you can sort of, you know, you, you need to differentiate yourself from other entries that have that same champion pick. So that's where those 12-5 upsets and 13-4 upsets and maybe taking an underdog or two to the to the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight, that really helps you kind of differentiate yourself from other entries. Whereas... If you pick a team that's more off the board and only a handful of people are picking to win the championship, then I think you can be a little bit more safe you know, with your early picks and uh, maybe only pick a, a couple you know, uh, under-the-radar picks here and there. But for the most part, stick to favorites and just hope that the team that you've, uh, that you've picked goes all the way. So you kind of have to take just two different ways you can kind of look at um, you know, how you fill out your bracket in that sense. It's kind of interesting because, to your point, if – if everyone is riding Gonzaga and you are looking for some some differentiating factor, if you're like, look, like Gonzaga's like, I just don't believe any team other than Gonzaga is winning this thing. So how am I going to differentiate? It it kind of helps that this is the most interesting group of 15 twos I can ever remember. Um, I'm just like just the overall group. I mean, first of all, I mean, we're, we're all junior high schoolers at, at heart. So Oral Roberts versus anybody is, is always something, <laughs> but you've got grand Canyon, Iowa, right? So Iowa has Luca Garza and, and, you know, and they're just a great team. Scuzz kind of laid it out earlier, but grand Canyon's a for-profit university. And that is always the thing that it's like, they are the leader of that vanguard of like, they've sort of been, pushing farther and farther into the sports arena. And, you know, it's like if Grand Canyon beats Iowa, that's kind of going to be their moment that they arrived. Iona, who is, you know, it's like, it's so hilarious that Alabama, I mean, we have, Sam mentioned earlier, our friends from Winning Cures Everything, Gary's a huge Alabama fan. He gets a two seed and draws a Rick Pitino coach team in the first round of the, of the tournament. It's, you know, that's kind of hilarious. And then, 
kind of more near and dear. I mean, this is a Northwestern podcast after all. If Dennis Gates and Cleveland State upset Houston, he jumps to the front of the line of the Northwestern sweepstakes. Um, Dennis Gates is already kind of in that discussion. Um, but if they pull a 15-2 upset over Houston in the first round of the tournament, um, he is he's going right up to the front. Um, I think, you know, it's I suppose it's probably Porter Moser's um, spot to lose, um, you know, if and when that spot does open up. But anyway, it's just one of those things where I look at this group of, of 15-2s and I'm like, there's a heck of a lot more meat on the bone than there normally would be <laughs> for a group of games that far down the line. But I think to your point earlier with, you know, weird conference champions or whatever, I think I think that's the flip side of, of this being topsy-turvy is there's a lot of juicy stuff all over this bracket if, you know, if you're looking for ways to differentiate. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Iona. Iona, I think, didn't play a game for almost two months um, right. in the middle of the season. And... Uh, but they were clearly, I think they were only seated something like eighth or ninth in that in that tournament. But I think they were kind of pretty clearly the best team in that tournament. They just didn't have, they hadn't played very many games. Right. And um, so I think it's kind of, a, they're probably better than, than a 15, which is, is interesting. They might be more like a 13 quality team. So, you know, maybe a tough draw there for Alabama and, um. And Grand Canyon, yeah. I mean, that is that is an interesting team. Isaiah Brown had moved, I, unfortunately, has moved on to Weber State, so he doesn't get and the we- opportunity. And Weber came so close, but they didn't they didn't get in. I was almost bummed. That's right. That's like right. I associate two things with Grand Canyon: for profit and Isaiah Brown. <laughs> what do, what do you make of the Big Ten? I mean, two one seeds, two two seeds. I mean, we we've seen all all season long how just how stacked the Big Ten is, but like Illinois is playing out of their minds right now. Um, <laughs> I don't want to get John started on Io Desunmu, um, who's <sighs> the one yeah. that got away for us. But uh, you know, Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, Ohio State. There's a, I, I would say there's a very decent chance that could be your Final Four, all Big Ten Final Four. It's not out of the realm of possibility at all. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, I, I saw uh, a tweet by Ken Pomeroy, I think maybe in the last week, that said uh, that the Ken Palm rankings were thirsty for more non-conference matchups this year, mm. and that the lack of non-conference matchups might have led to even like this bigger echo chamber than usual in in the computer rankings where once these teams were sort of thought of as good and they're only playing each other, that that just sort of makes them continue to rise in the rankings as they continue playing each other, right, over the course of the, the season. So what will be interesting is, does that hold up? Are these teams really, yeah, like, you know, the, the, the cream of the crop is, uh, are the teams that didn't make it out of the Big Ten, like, like Northwestern, that had... Ken Palm adjusted efficiency this year that was better than any season in the last 20 years we've had other than the, the tournament team. Um, you know, were, were our woes really just the result of playing in, an, in a historically great league and we're really all not all that bad? Or is... Um, what are my other, what are my other choices? <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, we'll get some answers, right? I mean, we'll get to see, like, how you know, how this plays out. I mean, it's, it's, I always caution against uh, judging an entire league based on a, a single elimination tournament, but at the same time, there's so many teams from, from the big 10 that it's going to tell us something about, uh, about how, how good the league is, especially if, if four teams do make it to the final four or, or, you know, four or five make it to the, to the elite eight, then, you know, you'll know that there's, that there was something to it, but, well, it's but funny. I am some, yeah, go ahead. Well, it's funny you said echo chamber, right? Because it's almost an echo of what we saw during the football season. Because you had teams like Iowa State, where you end up with these revolving situations where it's like, well, Iowa State's big thing is they beat Oklahoma, and Oklahoma's big thing is they beat Iowa State one of the two times. And like, and then you had the situation where it's like Texas A&M and Florida are basically in this like um, uh, M.C. Escher 
type situation where it's like they're both good because one of them won over the other and the other one played the one who be, who won really close. And it's like this total house of cards situation. And I, I do wonder, to your point, if there's the same kind of thing with the Big Ten where it's like there was that narrative at the start of the season that the Big Ten's really good and you have the lack of of that heavy group of games across it, you know, to get that differentiation. And then, you know, you do look at something and you're like, well, so, you know, it does bear mentioning that, uh, you know, an Iowa team that we know from up close and personal experience is capable of being a phenomenal basketball team really got kind of rolled by Gonzaga. Um, and right. Like, what does that mean? Like I, you're right. Like there's, we know a lot less, um, than than we normally would, but I don't know. Maybe that'll it'll make it a much more fun tournament overall. Anything else? Any other particular you know things or r- random things, random teams you're keeping your eye on right now? Uh, yeah, I'm looking through right now. Well, I, I actually had a question. Um, you know, Loyola Chicago. I've heard a lot of people uh, bemoaning the fact that you know they're in the eight nine against Georgia Tech and then going on to Illinois, and that's doing uh, the Ramblers wrong. Is is that ring to you, or is you know Sister Jean going to go down to Indianapolis and just pray the Ramblers over Illinois in the, in round two? Well, I think it's interesting that Loyola was ranked. I mean, I have them ranked or seeing them ranked ninth by Ken Palm in the country, and I don't know what their net ranking was. I don't have those in front of me right now, but um, you know, again, it's they're probably the the victim of not having a super robust non-conference schedule. They did play Wisconsin and lost relatively convincingly to Wisconsin, and they also lost to um, uh, once to Richmond. They lost once to Drake. Um, so when you look at the best teams that they played this year, they lost um, some of those games. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be... I think that you could ar- certainly argue that they're a better team this year than they were when they made the final four. Um, but that doesn't mean a whole lot again in a single elimination tournament where you look at, at when they made the final four, they played three one point games. They won two of them at the buzzer, which, you know, those are the kind of games that can go either way. You know, if they hadn't, if they hadn't hit a buzzer beater in the first round, nobody would have been talking about them at all. So um, that's the, the difference sometimes between being, the, you know, the talk of the, country and being just another team that loses in the first round they could just be another team that loses in the first round this year and um but because of how they did um you know when they made the final four that people are are have an eye on them and are talking about them and and talking them up so you know again we'll see i i do think that it's unfortunate that they have to play illinois in the first in the second round i do think just personally I would love to see them beat Illinois in the second round. So sure. from that perspective, sure. it would be it would be a lot of fun. But um, I, but I do know, think for for the for that area, I think it is. It, it's I mean, it's certainly going to be a you know a, a huge matchup in the Chicago area. Sure, I think that's one of the few matchups because again, it's like my overall knowledge. Once you get outside of the Big Ten this year, is so lacking. Um, but that's one matchup where I can look and see that there's and again, you know. I almost don't want to jinx Loyola Chicago here because they have to play the winner of the ACC tournament in the first round, right? I think Georgia Tech. Um, and they've they've got to get past that. But that game, a second-round matchup between Illinois and Loyola Chicago would have um, a phenomenal matchup between two players. And that's uh, Cameron, uh, what is it, Cameron Crutwig, the kind of power, low post, basically center for Loyola Chicago, who's a senior now, but was a freshman on the Final Four team and was really arguably their best player as a freshman against Kofi Coburn. Because Kofi Coburn is just a straight-up NBA basketball player. Like, he's going to be an NBA 4 or an NBA 5. And I think Crutwig is very much not really looked at as a pro guy, but has been a phenomenal college player and has been to a Final Four. Um, and I think that would be, you know, a pretty cool matchup to watch. We were joking on the... on. Uh, our Twitter feed that I think, you know, let's put it this way. There's a difference between being a winner and being a champion. And I'm just saying you can have a winning bracket if you put Illinois into the sweet 16 over Loyola Chicago in your bracket, but you are no champion. Let me just say that. 
<laughs> that's not something that champions do. Champions do not put Illinois in over Loyola Chicago. I just just want to make that clear. Um, what, is, what, what if you think they're going to win, though? Like, <laughs> not, I, I realize not I realize what you're doing. Relevant. But... <laughs> uh, not not relevant. Um, speaking of of um, teams that you know, well, I guess talking about Illinois, Loyola, Chicago for us, but Scott, you're um, uh, a West Coast guy. Um, you know, specifically Pacific Northwest. But um, when you start to look, you know, away from Gonzaga, look at the Pac-12, um, what in particular should we know about, the, you know, the teams that are coming out of that conference this year? Well, I think Oregon is a team that has battled a lot of injuries and they had some virus issues and they, they didn't really come together until the last like month or so. And they've got a third-team All-American, Chris Duarte, who um, wasn't really healthy until the last month also. So when they when they got everybody back together, they went on a big run that was only interrupted by a bizarre loss to Oregon State the other day, where they had just beaten Oregon State, I think, by, you know, easily by close to 20 the week before, and then just laid a complete egg against them uh, at the Pac-12 tournament. But that was really the first time that Oregon had looked anything other than really great in the last few weeks. So they are probably better right now than a seven seed. Um, so that's not going to be an easy game for Iowa at all if that one sets up. Um, I was just going to ask how, how you see that matchup playing up, playing out. Because, I mean, obviously Iowa, everything goes through Garza, right? So Yeah, Oregon can score. They've got some, like big like long athletic uh big men who i think could make things interesting for garza um yeah i mean i think they're and data altman is just a very good in-game coach he just finds ways to win to win games that sometimes he has no business winning and um so tell, I, I tell me I like more Oregon. about tell me more about in-game coaching and finding <laughs> ways to win you have no business winning Yeah. Just just let that sit there. <laughs> just do that but, one there a little bit, yeah. Given that I, I will so, mention. Uh, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, given that I so you know fourth wall here. Given that I fell off the podcast for a little while there, have we talked about Chris Collins and Northwestern yet? We have or, not. Or, no. 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 I guess we can save that for post bracket uh, doldrums. Yeah, although you know it is it does bode to, to Scott's earlier point if the big 10 comes out and looks like absolute world beaters then, you know, for example, right. There's like direct corollaries, right. If Ohio state goes on some crazy run, then people are going to be like, well, Northwestern played in a tough conference and they did beat Ohio state, you know? So, um, we, suppose... we were, we were the uh, fourth highest ranked defense amongst teams that did not make the tournament on Ken Palm. And it's I believe qualifiers that qualifiers there. I, well, I, well, <laughs> well, it said another way. We had the 28th most efficient defense in the nation. Yeah. I mean, North, we were a good, good defensive basketball team. I think, let's put it this way. If you watched the Northwestern's Big Ten tournament game against Minnesota, no one was complaining about Northwestern's defense in that game. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah. Um, which, and again, you know, and it's just like, it's funny, like kind of timestamping this, like that, that game, the opposing coach in that game, Richard Patino, is no longer um, no longer with Minnesota. I mean, and the, already... the new head coach at New Mexico, 12 hours yeah. after he was fired at Minnesota. <laughs> right. It's, it's just funny, though, because I think you what you do see, right, is, is this year where the Big Ten was absolutely stacked. Um, but of the teams that weren't good, just about all of them are, are making changes. Um, or not just about all of them, but I mean, like the, the list of teams that weren't good in the conference is pretty short. And, you know, several of those teams are making changes. And I think, you know, we, we kind of feel like Northwestern is kind of hamstrung for to make a change like that. But um, just because of the, the athlet, lack of athletic director. But but yeah, yeah no. I, I listened to your guys, the pod that you guys did about Collins and um you know, and I, I agree. I think that was. I think you guys taped that like maybe right before the 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 last three game winning streak. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, right before yeah. they went on a run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, you know, we had two winning streaks this year and only one losing streak. So yeah, that's real. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, the more I think about it, I'm like, you know, I have the same the same misgivings as I think you know you guys and everybody else watching the program right now. But it is interesting to see that, like, you know, when I saw the numbers of, of yeah, like we haven't had a we, we've only had one other better season of efficiency margin and Ken Palm in the last 20 years than this one. And it was the, the year we won, the, made the tournament. Uh, it's like, well, maybe we, you know, maybe we were actually, we're not bad. Maybe we were just, you know, the victims of this historically great conference. And if you threw us in some other league, I looked, you know, I was watching Oregon state last week and I'm thinking like, we're better than these guys and they're going to be in the tournament because they, you know, they were the five seed in a, in a, you know, in, in another power conference that, but it's not a very good league over, you know, in terms of depth. So, um, you know, you I, drop us in the Pac-12 and we're probably a, you know, a 500 conference team and, and still mediocre, but I, I but would, we're not like staring at a 13 game losing streak, you know? Here, here's the kind of the, the counter that I would say to that. I, I agree with everything that you're saying. I think my one counter to that would be, Northwestern's had a lot of losing streaks over the past four years and has lost a lot of close games. And that has to matter at some point because it's like yeah, you can I... look and, and be like, you're absolutely right. And if this team wouldn't have lost to that to Indiana and they wouldn't have lost to Penn State and they wouldn't have lost twice to Rutgers and that, you know, and it's like and 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 you could easily build up those wins and be like, yeah, and then the win- the record starts to catch up with the efficiency. But it's like we don't win those games. So it's like... <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I agree like 100% about the inability to... Yeah, I was just talking about Dana Alton finding the ways to win games that he shouldn't win. Like the fact that we find ways to often to lose games that we should win. And like I, I agree wholeheartedly with that there are some deficiencies on, on the in-game coaching side of things. So... Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably not, I mean, well, here's the thing. I, I, I certainly would, if, 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 uh, they figured out in a perfect world, if they could figure out a way to bring Porter Moser in here tomorrow, I'd probably be like, yeah, great. That'd be great. Um, but at the same time, I, he probably does deserve one more year to sort this out. And if it's another frustrating year like this, then they'd probably move on. Well, that's, uh, that's. That's one of the funny things is like because Porter Moser is the name at the top of everybody's list. And I'm and my thinking of that is like because Scuzz, Scuzz and I in particular have talked about this. And I'm like, yes, Porter Moser sounds great. Let's punch the ticket on that because that's the thing. Like I, Porter Moser is not exactly a guy where I want to go and be like, yeah, you, can you wait a year? What, are you you're going to be around for a year? And he's <laughs> going to be like, no, I'm going to entertain other options then. Um, yeah, yeah but, you're definitely hearing his name being uh, bandied about. In the, with the Minnesota job, potentially, right? So yeah, may, may, maybe you want Illinois to blow the doors off of Loyola Chicago <laughs> yeah. in the second round. So many layers. So many so layers. Do you, do you know the uh, uh, the the fun factoid about Porter Moser's first Division One victory? No, Just something you guys know about. Um, so Porter Moser's first Division One coaching job was at Arkansas Little Rock. And his first uh, game as head coach at UALR was against Northwestern in oh, 2000. Really? Huh. And that was also Bill Carmody's first game as the head coach of, of Northwestern. And I went to that game. It was a doubleheader with the NU Illinois football game, the year that we uh, shared the Big Ten title. Um, Scuzz, you were probably drum majoring in that game, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, I was and, not uh, at the basketball game. I believe you were not at the basketball game. Yeah, it was like a it was like a brutally cold day. It was like twenty degrees, eleven a.m. kickoff. I believe we won the football game like sixty-one to twenty. Sixty-one twenty-three. Yep. Sixty-one twenty-three. There you go. I remember one time it was like forty-seven to two or something like. It was like the maybe, most hilarious score. Like maybe six, <laughs> sixty-three twenty-three. It was. It, we almost doubled them up. But um, but we, maybe but for scored, that for that safety yeah, we scored sixty. I know that much. We scored sixty, and then but That's... I remember that the, the, the stadium was just like, I mean it was it was barren. Like nobody wanted to be there. It was snowing, I believe, a little bit. And and you was like, yeah, why don't we just put the first men's basketball game of the season like right after the football game, 
and showcase our new our new head coach or you know oh we're going a different direction now so yeah so my roommate and i we go to the football game we stick it out to the end so we go over to welsh ryan we go to the game and our football game our football team scored 61 or 63 or whatever it was that day and our basketball team scored 43 and lost <laughs> and lost by double digits to arkansas little rock coached by porter moser so wow that's that's, a, yeah. that's an awesome tidbit because i vividly remember that day but I don't, and yet knowing that that day was also the first game of Bill Carmody and of Porter Moser is a fascinating tidbit, um, and an, an inauspicious beginning. <laughs> but that is, I mean, it's it's fascinating, and and again, I mean, he really is at the top of everyone's um, everyone's list. And then, I mean, again, too, though, I mean, it's like if if Cleveland State somehow shocked the world and and beat Houston. Um, Dennis Gates immediately goes right into the running, not least of which because um, Armin Gates, his brother, was an assistant at Northwestern for a while. Um, and then there's a, a lot of craziness that went along with that whole situation and, and Armin Gates leaving and what happened immediately after he left, et cetera. But it's, yeah, the Midwest bracket. Between that and, and Illinois being the team every Northwestern fan should be rooting for, there's a lot of meat on the bone in the Midwest bracket. <laughs> the Midwest bracket of... Sh- 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 should we be rooting for Illinois? Is that what we're rooting for? Are we, are we rooting for Moser to lose? Is that what we're rooting for? <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it this that, way. Well, maybe, how about Drexel beats Illinois and then beats Loyola Chicago? And then beats then, Loyola, maybe that's... Then, I, have, I, have a problem, I have a problem rooting for Illinois for some reason. I, I, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it definitely leaves a bad taste in your stomach uh, yeah, for that, yeah. that to happen. Um, any... You know, going back to the, the bracket here... Are you seeing any kind of below the radar team possibly making a run, like in anyone like five seed or lower, uh, with the potential to to go far, like Sweet Sixteen or further? Because it always happens. There's there's always at least one. Yeah, there's always some team, right? And um, yeah, I mean, I know I'm being like the homer. I do think that Oregon does have. A chance because I just think that they're better than a seven seed right now um, in terms of their quality. They if they had been healthy all year, I'm guessing that they probably would have been more like a four or five. So I think that they're at that quality of team. Um, but Iowa would be very difficult for them to get past in the second round. You know, I've heard a lot of people that really like San Diego State. I don't know much about them uh, um, this year, but I've seen a lot of chatter about them being a potential under the radar team. Uh, they've got a good record, and I, I believe that they're one of the better defensive teams in the country. Uh, they got a really interesting, so be an interesting pick. Really interesting potential mismatch in round two. So they're rough. They're like the eleventh. They're like number eleven in the in the Ken Palm defensive efficiency ratings, and uh, presumably will play West Virginia in the second round, who is the number eleven offensive team in Ken Palm, and then. Mm. Neither of them are particularly great on defense, so like it really an, uh, an interesting contrast of styles coming into that to that potential game. I just realized that if UNCG beats Florida State, which would be a thirteen-four upset, and Wisconsin wins their opening round game, UNCG can claim that they're the best basketball team in the state of North Carolina. <laughs> That's. That's all that would have to happen, <laughs> which is that, that, yeah, that's that is pretty wild. Huh. That's, that's that's amazing. It is. And Wait, I, where's where's Winthrop? That's a good question. I my instinct was South Carolina, but I honestly do not know. I should do Winthrop the respect of looking that up. I think it is. Yeah, they are in South Carolina. Yeah. So, yeah. And UNCG is where the ACC conference, uh, Greensboro is where the ACC conference office is located. So that's just one more amusing factoid. Really? Jim um, Phillips moved to Greensboro? Yes. He's he's in sunny Greensboro. Why is it not Carolina. in Charlotte? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. yeah no, I've, always, I've, I've long theorized that Greensboro is not a real city. It's just a place where they have basketball tournaments. Scott, I, I lived in Greensboro for three and a half years. You're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, no, well, so the short the short answer is Tobacco Road. Um, the Greensboro is is right dead center in Tobacco Road, 
and that's the dead center of the ACC for basketball purposes. And Greensboro has a giant um, building that that is not that is huge and is not the Dean Dome, and thus totally partisan and have the, filled. So, in other words, it's the largest basketball-friendly facility that doesn't have all powder blue seats where they can right. host a host a game, and that's I think. The, the genesis of it. But again, uh, we digress. But I mean, that's just one more thing. I mean, the ACC, Duke notwithstanding, I mean, you know, which of course is, that's a whole other, I mean, Duke probably wasn't going to get in anyway, or or we're going to have to kind of play their way in in the tournament. But time stamping this, as we speak, Duke has 5,000 students in campus lockdown right now. Um, and that is, that which, to, to our point, dovetails with something um that we should probably talk about it. You got so are you guys? Things are locked in now, right? I mean, what is? Yeah, yeah. So what happens from this point on if there's a team that cannot play? It's just they, a forfeit, they forfeit straight the game. Up. Okay. So I mean, so, you could get some weird upsets if one team can't go. Right. And I, bizarre, it, yeah. I did not realize because I, I remember when they they talked about this a couple weeks ago that that essentially if a team can't play. They're just going to re- straight up replace them with, you know, the first team out, like with Team Sixty Nine, or, or up until today, I think. I yeah, think was- but I didn't, I didn't realize there was a cap on it. I certainly didn't realize that the cap happened this, you know, early, given that the well, I guess the play-in games start. Um, I think the play-in games aren't what, they on Thursday? Thursday, and then the the ter- actual tournament starts on Friday, which is weird this year, going Friday through Monday. Do yeah, I think that? actually part of the reason was I think the NIT starts tomorrow. Are they playing the the NIT? Yeah, there's a 16-team NIT happening all in Texas, somewhere in Texas, I think. Um, And I believe that, so the top four teams in the NIT are the the four replacement teams. So if if a team had to be pulled out of the NIT to to play in the NCAA tournament, that had to be done tonight, because otherwise they would be playing in the NIT tomorrow. Um, So I think that was part of why the deadline was also this early in the week, uh, was to try to get if they needed to bring a team that they would have them kind of ready to go from, they could have them fly from Texas to Indiana today or tomorrow. Just crazy. It, it, is, <laughs> it is. It is. What, what a world we are in right now. I was going to say so far, we haven't had any teams uh, drop out, but we have had six referees. I don't know if you guys saw that story. Yeah. Yeah. Six ref- that's right. Six referees are, are out because they had dinner together and one of them had the virus. So, yep. Yeah, I know it's gonna be crazy. I the, it, I don't know how that will affect officiating, but it's it certainly is. I mean, right? It's like it certainly doesn't make you feel better about a team missing out. <laughs> but we'll we'll see. Yeah. Sam, well, I, were you were you going to make a Texas pivot, Sam? I was going to make a Texas pivot. Um, can, can can I drop a North Carolina tidbit before we do that? Sure. And that's that, John. I found a wrinkle to your to your grand plan for UNC North, Greensboro. What is? Yeah, it's that when Appalachian State knocks off Norfolk and then knocks off Gonzaga for the second 16-1 upset ever, fair. Uh, they're going to move the ACC office to Boone. Fair. Yeah, fair. <laughs> I was, I was going to say, because not to get too inside baseball, North Carolina on you, but down on the Piedmont, they just pretend that Appalachian State doesn't exist. Like, <laughs> they pretend that's Tennessee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so but, no, but Sam, go ahead. Yeah. yeah so, so speaking of tournaments happening in Texas, we would be remiss if we didn't at least ask you about the women's tournament, uh, featuring seven seed Northwestern uh, in the Alamo bracket. Very interesting. Like the the whole women's tournament is happening in San Antonio. Some games uh, happening uh, in up in Austin and a few in the towns between Austin and San Antonio. But everything is happening right there. The brackets. Can, can are, I interject? Yeah. Like. Like San Antonio, significantly greater than Indianapolis. San Antonio, yeah. a phenomenal city, and I'm not just saying that because I married a San Antonioan, but uh, the great city uh, can absolutely will absolutely shine in a in tournament setting like this. But you know, Northwestern, the seven seed in the Alamo bracket. You've also got the Riverwalk bracket, the Mercado bracket, and the Hemisphere bracket, um, all uh, highlights of San Antonio, but. A uh, real fascinating matchup for Northwestern in, in the first round uh, against uh, UCF. Uh, I believe it, well, that's the Isaiah Bowser tax, John. That's right. 
You get Bowser, you get Bowser, you get the blizzard coming with him. That's how it works. Now, what's fascinating about UCF is their defense is insane. They only give up 49.9 points per game. To, to bet the bet the um, under on this oh, on this hammer matchup. the under. It's a it's a weird situation too because it's this goes with everything that we've already been talking about, right? That um, it sort of applies to okay, so where are the powerhouses, right? Like how does how does the Big Ten stack up in women's basketball relative to men's basketball? I think it's it's a little bit different, right? Um, and I think you can look at the performance. It, it was funny. So, like, just as a point of reference, today I was reading an article about um, that included talking about Maryland and their chances to kind of go all the way in this women's tournament. And one of the things they talked about is that Maryland's defense has been spotty at times this season. And I immediately had to pull up the stats and go and look up because I was like, well, not lately they haven't been. Because the team that I watched against Northwestern in the tournament was Lord friggin', friggin' terrifying on defense. Um, and I think, so this is all a long way of saying, I think what I saw in that Maryland team was a team that's got a pedigree to go deep. And I kind of wonder, well, you know, is this UCF defense more a product of them playing in a, a conference that, with all due respect to UConn, is not a top-to-bottom conference? Um, and you know, what, what does that defensive ranking actually mean? Like when they play a team like Northwestern, I guess we'll see. Scott, you have any thoughts on the, on, on the women's bracket? Uh, not much on the bracket overall, because I have not been keeping up, um, too much over there because the teams that I follow, um, Oregon and, uh, Oregon state are both in the bracket, but have been a little bit down from where they've been, um, recently. So, um, Oregon doesn't have the best player in the nation anymore. <laughs> Oregon doesn't have uh, four, you know, three top five WNBA picks in their on their team anymore. <laughs> right. um, so that has uh, hurt them, unsurprisingly. I wish they could give. I wish they could give some sort of waiver to allow like anyone who would would have been able to play last. Like, could we? I wish we could have gotten some Rianescu's in the in this tournament this year somehow. Like, make some sort of waiver. Get her. To play for Oregon one last time just to see what happens. Yeah, it was really disappointing last year because the the regional, the West regional last year was going to be in Portland. And so Oregon almost surely would have been in that region and played uh, their Sweet 16 and Elite Eight games here in Portland. And then, uh, and there was a good chance that NU would have ended up in that, in that section as maybe like a, you know, a three seed or something like that. So... I was literally looking forward to the opportunity to see NU play in my hometown and potentially even see them playing as Oregon in the Elite Eight. And that was uh, disappointing to uh, to not see because I think, you know, NU was a certainly a better team last year than this year, you know, too. So it would have it really, we were kind of robbed of an opportunity to see how far our women's team could have gone with a, with a really great team. And certainly they've got, quality this year and you know it's it's we're relying really on 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 the starting unit and and uh you know Burton Pulliam would like they all have to be really good <laughs> and uh, to carry us through games and if if they are then uh, then we can play with it seems like you know a, a lot of the top teams um certainly played well against Michigan um, I, I I think what was his what has clearly been a what separates this Northwestern team from being just merely like pretty good um, to being potentially great is, is the presence of Courtney Shaw back on the court. So she came back, um, I believe in time for, for the last two games of the season, the Maryland game and the Michigan game. And then obviously yeah, the right. tournament. Right. And had been missing for the prior, I think almost two months um, She'd been for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And her presence was, just immediately felt because like she didn't start any of those games that the, they still started Paige Mott, the freshman who's basically been the starter in that forward role all, or that center role, if you will, all year. But, um, she'd come off the bench and I, and honestly it, it harkened back to some of, um, to some of Jordan Ash's comments about around like 
his death taxes and Ryan Young comment. And it just, it felt like in those last four games or five games we watched death taxes and, and Courtney Shaw, like she gets on the floor, she immediately scores four points, grabs two rebounds and gets the other team to commit a couple fouls. And, um, I like her experience on the front in the front court and th- like the difference between like when she was not in, I felt like they were using Sydney wood a lot in that role of, pass the ball to Sidney Wood down on the low block, even though she's not, you know, an, an imposing physical forward and she's going to attempt to lay up, often get fouled, go to the free throw, free throw line, right? The difference between Wood and Shaw is that Shaw is strong enough to cut through the contact and score the layup and get the end one. In, in a, and in a lot of cases, that wasn't happening for Wood. So I just, that to me is... Like if you look at this women's season, I think we've been waiting all year for them to put it all together and feel like the squad was was performing at their at their height. Because without that that front line um, threat, teams just put their their two longest, fastest players on Burton and Pulliam and it's lights out. Right. But the the last five games have looked have looked different and and like. Maryland, Maryland in the Big Ten tournament, I mean, they hit, what, 40, 43% from three-point? I mean, they were just unconscious, and it was um, it was an incredible an incredible display from them and a, and a rough shooting day from Northwestern, which compounded things. And, I, like, you can't look at that game and, and, and kind of scratch Northwestern off the card in the, in the coming weeks. But uh, I, I think with Shaw, especially having some time for, you know, her to recover from those, those four games, which were pretty physical, and get, get set for Monday – like I, I love where Northwestern is sitting going into this tournament, and like the matchup with Louisville, potentially in the second round if they get past UCF, is is exceedingly hard. Um, but I, I don't know. It, it's so, there's still a lot to be excited about, despite the fact that this season didn't live up to expectations. I guess is my point. Well, so like my my thing about that is Northwestern. So like I think we're to the point where. I don't think there's a single Northwestern fan who doesn't believe Northwestern's better than their record for every reason that Scuzz said, right? Because all season you're like, where is this team going to put it together? And then against Michigan, we saw that, right? And we're like, look, we absolutely took this team apart. Um, and then Maryland, I mean, like Maryland's a dark horse in this whole thing, right? So, I mean, it's like you can kind of you can kind of set that aside. Well, well and, is- and to play Michigan and Maryland – in back-to-back games. Sure. Well, so like there's like, couldn't have two like more different styles that you have to defend against. So, so totally. Exactly. I think the problem is this, it's not a Northwestern problem. It's a woman's basketball problem. And the easiest way for me to phrase this is this. Imagine that we had a team of equivalent talent to this woman's team in the men's tournament and how awesome you'd be feeling about that because you'd be like, as long as we're not in Gonzaga's bracket, anything could happen. Literally anything could happen. A team with this level of talent, with two gunners of the quality of Pulliam and Burton, and that defense, you know, all bets are off night to night. But I'm sure all of you who are participating in the Westlot bracket tournament challenges, the men's bracket and the women's bracket, um, who like the good Northwestern fans you are, have all put Northwestern through to the national title in that bracket. You saw what has to happen for that to happen. The road basically goes UCF, Louisville, Oregon, Stanford, South Carolina, UConn. Or or Georgia. <laughs> or Ooh. Georgia. It is terrifying. And the I think that the Maryland game kind of illustrated, right, that just, I mean, things are wide open in the men's game this year in particular, but the upper echelon, that top eight teams in women's college basketball is just this brick wall. And then even within that group, I think you might have to expect to see a Maryland play a UConn and get kind of beaten handily. And, you know, I just remember, you know, we were watching that Maryland team in the Big Ten tournament going, oh my God. So I, I think kind of the, the way to think about it is everything Scus said is true. We have a very good team in a in a game where unfortunately you kind of part of that top eight or you're not part of that top eight. And I think if we can beat UCF and then have an you know everything on the line game against Louisville, I think you know 
the team is going to be able to be like, you know, nothing to lose. If you win that game, that alone is a massive win. And if not, um, you know, it's still a, a good showing. So that, well, I, I guess that's what I'm hoping for. What's really exciting for the future in terms of what you just said, John, and and hopefully we'll have to be able to have some really impactful conversations down the road with with folks in the know on this. But like what you just said about a top eight, I, I feel like three years ago it was a top four. Yeah, it was Notre right. Dame, Baylor, True. South Carolina, and UConn. And before that, it was a top two. UConn, and Tennessee. Yeah, like the women's game has is evolving. Northwestern is in that like next tier or tier and a half of if if we continue to recruit and continue to develop and continue to grow, we can be in the mix with what you just described of of a, of a team with this kind of caliber of talent that is more in line with the rest of that, that upper echelon and, and has, has not, 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 not has a shot. Cause of, of, of course they have a shot right now, but is, um, I guess has more, more of an opportunity because the, the, the dispersion of talent, uh, you know, just spreads out a bit more across the sport. It's, it's still a, you know, there's still a ways to go before you really have this, parody or where you really feel like oh a, a six seed or a seven seed could make the final four or make the final game like we do see happen occasionally on the men's side um but yeah i mean the depth is probably at an all-time high in women's hoops it's just that there's still the, uh, this elite you know this elite tier that's hard to break through and you know it's it's still going to be a while um probably before that you know, that, that wall is broken down again and maybe that top tier becomes 12 teams or maybe it becomes 16 teams. And then we start to see that's, what's why it's, it's always been, you know, to me, the, the, the and I, I haven't done uh, women's basketball pools, not necessarily, not because I, I wouldn't want to, but because, uh, you know, in a lot of years it's like, well, what's, what's the challenge here? We know who's going to win or we mm-hmm. know who the top two teams are going to be. And it's, uh, there's it's it's um the the number of sort of reasonable outcomes is so much smaller um and the the true just sort of out of nowhere kind of runs and upsets just just don't happen um but it would be great if if we're headed that direction and we're gonna we're gonna start to see that happen more and um you know the success of teams like uconn you know i think it just raised the profile of the sport in general and and, i was uh, i was I was going to say, to your point on that, I think they're right. You don't have the top to bottom, but I think the sport overall has been elevated because you can't really be a serious basketball fan and not be turning in from like the Elite Eight on in the women's basketball tournament because all the teams are so awesome. Like, you know who it's going to be. You know that when the rubber meets the road, it's going to be like UConn versus Stanford or UConn versus South Carolina, or, you know, it's going to be these, these massive programs like duking it out. But who I, knows, I, I, I wonder what impact uh, Gino Oriema not being on the bench for UConn. Oh, is he have. not on the bench? He, he came down with COVID. Oh, well, interesting. I think for the first weekend, I mean, they could have nobody out That's there. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're going to play- win the first two games play- by fifty. I mean, play- yeah. player coach, <laughs> right? They just like they just won their conference tournament championship by like fifty points. So I think, and they have Paige Beckers, who might be the best player in the country. So, but um, uh, Iowa sitting there as a potential Sweet Sixteen matchup, as well as Iowa's played with their Kalen you know, Kalen Clark is. Like yeah. everybody is talking about Caitlin Clark. She's a freshman, which is ludicrous, but um her that, like she scores like no player you've ever seen outside of UConn and Brittany well, Griner. I was gonna say outside of Paige Beckers, and they're both freshmen. So <laughs> yeah. that's that's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the crazy thing is is the supposed like best player to come out of high school in like the past like three or four years is is signed with UConn and she's like Paige Beckers' best friend. So I I hate to argue against Scuzz's great argument about hopefully parody coming here because I don't want UConn to just grab this thing by the throat. But hey, Scott, you never know. We might have to break glass on an emergency pod in a couple of weeks if we're looking at Oregon Northwestern in the Sweet 16, you know, for uh, for a spot against Stanford. It could happen. Yeah, if it, if it, it could happen, and uh, yeah, I was just 
it's, it's a year late because I would have liked those, to see those two teams play last year when they had oh, a, man. Even INS, better teams. INS uh, theory. It's it's like Ewing theory, but it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, except, Oregon's a little beat up. That, Oregon's, ex- yeah. Oregon women's beat, team is kind of beat up right now. One of their one of their better players is out. So, and they kind of limped into this tournament. So I'm, I'm not super super confident on their ability to run too far through the women's bracket. Um, I think Oregon State's a better team right now, and they're the eight seed. You know, they're an eight seed. So. Well, it is wild. We just talked about Iowa. Northwestern beat Iowa twice. Yeah, that's right. Or, or I'm sorry, we we won one and lost one, right? Yes, yeah, I, I think we split with them. Yeah, we split with Iowa. So um, that no, we beat so, Iowa twice. Oh no, we, we did. Did we really beat yeah, them twice? Really oh, that's twice. right. Because yeah. there was that game where um, their center was just going going ballistic on us, and um, somehow we reeled them back into the second. The second half, and and frankly, if you're gonna, if anyone is gonna contain a Caitlin Clark, you know Veronica Burton, um, is Two-time the person Big I Ten would, Defensive Player of the Year. My goodness, she's just incredible to watch. Uh, not not to 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 belabor this this conversation, but um, what she did in that Michigan game was was the most electric performance since we all watched um, Lindsey Pulliam put up 32 against Michigan the prior year in Evanston, right? Yeah. Uh, so just like to see, I really hope we get to see her go up against, you know, top level talent, both of them, frankly, both her and Lindsay go up against top level talent in Louisville in that second round. I just, I think it would be really exciting to see what they can do. And, uh, it's all gravy, right? Like we'll see, we'll see, we'll see how far they go. Well, Scott, um, don't want to take up your entire evening. I definitely appreciate you coming on with us for, uh, the 11th year, 10th tournament that we previewed together. Um, sh- it should be fun. I mean, the tournament's always fun. Um, you know, the Friday through Monday thing is, is going to be interesting. Uh, definitely looking forward to, to all of that. And, uh, yeah, anything to to plug on your way out? Uh, no, not really. It's just, you know, awesome to get to talk to you guys again and it not be – uh, like it was last year where we were just doing sort of a requiem for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, so true. Uh, the fact that we actually have something somewhat normal to look forward to in our lives right now is uh, certainly welcome. And, uh, you know, not to, uh, not to seem like we're, you know, making light of any, uh, you know, any of the tragedy of the last year, but just sort of having uh, something that's uh, finally the, the fun diversion that we've all been looking for and the ability to, uh, you know, have our, have our week ruined by some random 14 seed is uh, certainly uh, something that we're all uh, glad is back. Amen. Uh, so before we go, just want to mention one last time, um, head to uh, our website, westlawpirates.com. We've got both men's and women's tournament challenges up. All the information is there at uh, westlawpirates.com. We'd love to see as many people jump in as possible. Um, you know, the, Men's men's tournament starts on Friday. Uh, women's tournament starts uh, next early next week. Uh, so you know, jump on in. We have a lot of fun with it. Um, again, westlawpirates.com. And, and we'll wrap it up there for tonight. Um, head to westlawpirates.com. Tournament challenge, comments, questions, uh, anything you want to know about us is there. Uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at westlawpirates. And you can always email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. John Lacombe, Scott Steppage, and Eric Skousbo, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.